Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. As you're taking your seats, I just would like to, I uh, should have said this earlier, just note uh, that we're blessed today to have both Suzanne back with us and also dear Jean with us. We're praying for both of you sisters. Brothers and sisters, now if you would please turn to your text today. You'll find your text in your bulletin on page 9. The text is from, again, Mark chapter 1, but this time not the second half, but the first half of Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, If last week was uh, something of a call to action, this week I would describe more as a call to reflection. And so let us hear the word that we are to reflect upon together this day. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his weight and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying... After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. I love how one particular writer described the book of Mark. And Mark's approach, he described it this way. He said, imagine you're deep asleep. It's cold and, and, and you're burrowed under those covers. You know, and, and you're in your room and it's dark and you're sleeping so good. You're deep in sleep. And all of a sudden the door's flung open and the light comes pouring in and you hear somebody yelling, get up! You're late. 
and you, and, and you know how you are in those sorts of moments, and you, and you wake up and you blink your eyes and you look over at your, not your phone, because you're not using that phone as the alarm clock, right? You're looking at that alarm clock, and oh my, you are late, and you must have hit that snooze button time and time and time and time again. And so you jump up, you go and throw on your clothes, you grab a granola bar, and out the door you go with the one who's just been yelling at you. And this author said, that's the way of Mark. That's the way the writer of the Gospel of Mark, that's the way he is. That's the way he writes. And he's calling us to come on, wake up, follow what I'm going to show you. Follow after me. Listen to what I'm going to say. Hear what I'm going to write to you. And he says, he, he talks about, you know, the beginning. And then as soon as he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he quotes a couple of verses from the Old Testament, kind of merges them together. And then as soon as he merges those together and they're about this messenger who come, boom, bam, there's the messenger, John. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's like Mark, the gospel writer, is saying, wake up. I got to get us going along. We got to get at it and we got to do it immediately. And that's Mark's favorite word. And when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, if you know that's his favorite word, you just start getting tickled as you keep reading. There it is again, and there it is again, and there it is again. Immediately, let's, let's go. Mark's that sort of guy that's always doing this. Let's go. Let's go. Some of you children have parents like that, don't you? Let's go. Okay. He's that sort of guy. He's, he's impatient. He's ready to get going. He's ready to get going at telling a story. What's he impatient about telling? The good news. The gospel. Now we are in what some call the season of epiphany, if you follow the liturgical calendar. And that season is all about, the focus is about, the revelation of Jesus of Jesus being revealed. You know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but who is this baby? And the season of Epiphany is about who this baby uh, is and who he would become. And so when we come to Epiphany, we're looking at various texts, and the, and the most famous of the, excuse me, of the Epiphany texts is the coming of the wise men. Right? The coming from the east, the Magi. And they're Gentiles, right? And those Gentiles come and they follow the star and they've been reading those Old Testament Jewish prophecies and they come and there is Jesus and He's being revealed to them. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful text because they were Gentiles. And what's being said, what's being alluded to is that Jesus is not only the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah for the Jews, He's the Messiah for the Gentiles as well. And it's a great call to missions. It's a great call to evangelism. That's the, that's the first major text of Epiphany. This is the second one. This story that's in our text today. Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan by John the Baptist. For there once again, Jesus is being revealed. He's being identified. And on top of what we've already learned in our series, this Christmas and Epiphany series, that He's the sword that divides on the one hand but brings peace on the other. 
On top of that, on top of Jesus being the Word that brings light, on top of Jesus being the door and the good shepherd and the master of life who brings us into uh, the presence of the Father, who who brings us into green pastures, who gives us the, the full life that is His, that's found in Him. On top of all that, in our passage today, Jesus is also identified He's also revealed, and He's revealed and identified as the beloved Son that brings cleansing. Here at the waters of the River Jordan, Jesus is revealed as that beloved Son, and He's ordained to the office of the Messiah through the waters of baptism. And and, and what Mark is doing, he's doing something relatively new in his day. He's writing this book that we call the Gospel of Mark. And in writing this book that we call the Gospel of Mark, he's not writing just a memoir or a biography of a good man. No, he is writing about this one who is Jesus and he is telling us who he is under divine inspiration. This is the beloved Son of God in whom the Father is pleased. And that's and that's what he kind of keeps doing. You know, he keeps telling us, this is who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus is. And that's the theme of our series. Who is Jesus? And today I want us to divide up our text and look at this text really under kind of three heads, three ideas, three thoughts about identity. About identity. First, I want, to, I want us to focus on Jesus being identified. Who's he identified as? Then secondly, I want us to focus on Jesus identifying himself with others. And then lastly, I want us to uh, ask ourselves the question, who do we identify with? Okay? Jesus identified. Jesus identifies. And third, Jesus' identity or finding our identity in him. First thing, Jesus identified. Uh, you don't have to go long in the Gospel of Mark before he's identified, right? The very first verse. You see it? Again, Mark doesn't have time. Hey, he's not going to be like Matthew and go back to Abraham. He's not going to be like Luke and go all the way back to Adam and Eve. He's not going to be like John and go into eternity past to talk about this Jesus. No, he's just going to launch in. He says, in or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is in his hurry-up fashion. He's saying, I'm just going to cut to the chase. We're just going to get at it. I'm going to tell you right up front the good news of who Jesus is. And then I'm just going to keep telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you. And by God's working of His Spirit, you're going to believe. Okay? First, He's he's Jesus, right? He says that this is what? The gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Aramaic uh, Yeshua or the, the Hebrew, uh, what we would re, you know, transliterate into uh, English as Joshua. And that name means Yahweh or the God of the people of Israel. God saves. Yahweh saves or God or Yahweh is salvation. So right off the bat... Jesus is identified with the salvation of God. Second, He's the Christ. 
That means he's the anointed one. And anointing has the idea of oil being placed upon the head. And that takes you back to the Old Testament. It particularly takes you back to Old Testament priests and Old Testament kings. And when we are told that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Greek version of the Messiah, uh, we are being told that Jesus is the deliverer of God's people. And He delivers God's people through being their great high priest who offers up not another lamb, but He offers Himself as the perfect lamb in their place. And that Jesus is not only the one who offers sacrifice for their sins, He is their King to deliver them. So when we see this word Christ, this title Christ, it's a big idea. It's full of meaning. It means He's our great High Priest. He's our great King. He's our Savior. And He's our King. And then John adds, He's the Son of God. Now that's got multiple layers of meaning, but one of those layers clearly is He is the divine, eternal Son of God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's God the Son. He was, He is, and forever will be God the Son. And God the Son, in space and time, took on flesh, and He will now forever be God and man, the God-man. And so Mark is saying, I'm going to identify Him. He's Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Boom. There you go. Mark said it. You didn't have to wait 10 chapters, did you? First verse. And then Mark says, well, you know, that's what I say. Let me let you hear a few other voices. Okay? I'm going to be the first witness. Now let me let you hear a second human witness. And so he turns to John the Baptist. Look down at verse 7. Who does John the Baptist say Jesus is? And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but He, He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is identifying this Jesus as his cousin. He's identifying Jesus as not my cousin, but he's saying, He's the one who's mightier than me. And with a couple of quotes that Mark provides from us, uh, for us from the Old Testament, we have this idea that John is saying, that John the Baptist is saying, He's the one. He's the Lord. I- I'm just the one who's sent to prepare the way. He's the Lord. In other words, He's the Messiah. Now that's two witnesses, right? Mark's saying He's the Messiah. Now John is saying He is the Messiah. And then he says, you know, I'm, I'm doing this water baptism thing, sort of like what we do with Joe. And this water baptism is symbolically talking about the cleansing that people need because they're sinners and they need to be cleansed of their sins and they, they need to repent of their sins and they need the forgiveness that's found only in God. I, I do that symbolically. This one who's coming, he's going to spiritually and really baptized because he's going to pour out his spirit upon people, spiritually dead people. And those spiritually dead people will be brought to spiritual life and they'll come to faith and they'll exercise that faith. He's greater than me. He's the Lord. Amen? And, and then, then Mark says, okay, and if, you, if you're not satisfied with my testimony 
And with John the Baptist's testimony, let me, give you, let me give you two other persons. These two persons are two persons of the Godhead, the Father and the Holy Spirit. They're now going to identify this Jesus. Verse 10. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately, Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. It's amazing imagery here, and uh, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Let me go there for just a second. Here, he's coming down as a dove. It's a sign of peace. Well, then this dove, in just the next two or three verses, it's going to basically turn into like an eagle and toss Jesus into the wilderness. Fling him into the wilderness. But here, he's a dove. Resting upon Jesus. Identifying Jesus. Resting upon him. Verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You're my beloved son. With you, well pleased. Visually and verbally, Jesus was identified as the beloved Son of God. Now, I, I believe we're right in understanding this identification of Jesus as an identification of Him being uh, the divine Son of God. God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. But I think this is also pointing us further. In addition to that... I think this terminology, you are my beloved son, is a reference to Jesus willingly taking on the role of the Messiah, in which he reenacts the history of Israel, where Israel had been the faithless son. Jesus is going to be the faithful son. If you went back to Exodus chapter 4, if you remember your Bibles, if you remember Exodus, remember chapter 4 in that area of the book of Exodus, God is calling Moses to go to Pharaoh. And to go and say to Pharaoh what? Let my people go. Right? Well, in a part of that, God says this to Moses. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, seeing that, the whole nation of Israel collectively being called what? The son of God. And now the eternal Son of God takes on human flesh and He represents God's people. And they are all considered one in Him. And He was about to go and serve Yahweh. He was about to get about the work of being the Messiah, of being the perfectly righteous Son being the perfectly righteous Israel, now not coming through the waters of the Red Sea, but now coming through the waters of what? The river of Jordan. Now not coming through the Red Sea into the wilderness to rebel and to murmur and to complain, but now to come in as the perfectly righteous, obedient Son. Living righteously for them. 
Jesus was about to begin the arduous work of being that son, of being the Messiah. And when he is about to embark on that work, notice what he hears. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. That gives me chills. Can you imagine? Jesus knows what's ahead. Jesus steps into the water of the river Jordan and he knows what's ahead. And he's willingly taking on that role. And he hears, You're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. He hears it, and the Spirit rests upon him as a dove of peace. He's about to embark upon the work of the Messiah, and he receives that affirmation before he does it. But what's that work all about? Well, I've already implied it. It's a work of identifying. We've seen Mark and John and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit identifying Jesus. Now, let's notice Jesus identifying Himself. With, but with whom? When Jesus came to the waters of the River Jordan to be baptized, what in the world was He doing? I mean, we've already read John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. For the forgiveness of what? Sins. Jesus was not a sinner. He had no sin to repent of. So why is He coming to be baptized. What was he doing? Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need to be forgiven. But he knew who did. And he comes to identify with them. And it's as if he's saying, I stand with them. I stand with them as if I were a sinner too. For I represent them. I am the beloved Son. And I'm going to stand where they stand. And I'm going to receive what they deserve. And I'm going to receive it to the fullest extent. And this water that's being poured on me is the first official step towards my blood being poured out for them. If I had been John the Baptist and Jesus is standing before me to be, to be baptized, can you imagine that? And, and the other gospel writers say, he's kind of, he doesn't know what's going on here. Can you imagine baptizing Jesus? I would have been trembling. Jesus identified and he identifies with sinners with sinful, fallen human beings. But what kind of sinners? Well, Mark's going to love telling us. <laughs> and if you keep reading through Mark, he's just going to give us uh, this character, that character, that character. 
He's going to reveal us that Jesus came to identify with drunks. With those who just couldn't let go of the bottle. Jesus is going to identify with prostitutes. Those who think there's no other way to make a living but this, and if they don't do this, they're doomed. Jesus is going to identify with beggars that most people just go by without a second thought. Jesus is going to identify with a thief on the cross. Jesus is going to identify with the sick who cry out, rescue me. He identifies with the demon-possessed. He identifies with servant girls. He identifies with big soldiers, important soldiers like centurions. He identifies with all kinds of sinners, gloriously. And Mark loves to tell you about them. But what I have found interesting as I've been working on this text, and as I've been looking a little bit further into Mark, it was also interesting to note some of the specific sinners Mark introduces us to, and that Jesus, uh, Jesus identifies with. And not only does he identify with them, he calls them and makes them his disciples. We've already read of some, right? At the second half of chapter 1, we've read of Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John. And what were they, brothers and sisters? Fishermen. Fishermen. Salt of the earth, fishermen. They were good old boys, if I might put it that way. Good old boys. They were the patriotic sort. But they were sinners. And Jesus identifies with them. And aren't we glad? I suspect there's some good old boys here who are sinners with whom Jesus identifies. And then it's interesting. You go over to chapter 2. And, and Mark, I think, is just loving this. He said, you know, I was talking to you about those good old boys, the fishermen, the salt of the earth types. In chapter 1, I want to introduce you to a, a different sort of person. This person, his name is, by the way, it's Matthew. He's a government man. He's a man from the notorious, crooked government man. He skims off the top. He's a bureaucrat. He's a sellout to the Romans. Um, we might call them, we might call them today a deep stater. He's in deep. He's making his living off of being in good graces with the enemy, the Romans. And notice, Jesus does what? identifies with Him. And aren't we glad? And then Mark and Jesus are done in chapter 3. We get to meet all the twelve disciples. And in that list, there's one name that stands out to me. Besides Judas. And this name is Simon. But this time, this Simon has a title. He's Simon what? The zealot. Brothers and sisters, zealots despised sellouts. 
Zealots despise the government types. Zealots easily became, and as I said this morning earlier, this is the word for the month, zealots easily became insurrectionists. Fighting for the good old boys against the government types and their overlords. And notice, Jesus identifies with him. And aren't we glad? Jesus identified with all types of sinners. And you need to know this. You need to remind yourself of this. I need to remind myself of this. Jesus identifies himself with all types of sinners, not just my preferred tribe. And he brings people from every sort of tribe and group. And he brings them together and he makes a new tribe. A new family. Good old boys. Government sellouts. Zealots. Now belong to one another as brothers. All types of sinners are my brothers and sisters. Not just the type of sinners I prefer. Amen? That can be a little uncomfortable. But why? For what end? What goal? What purpose? Well, that's where we need to remind ourselves what's going on. What's going on? Jesus has come to the river Jordan to be what? To be baptized. The baptism of John, the baptism that represents the cleansing from the stain and the guilt and the shame of sin, sin confessed, sin returned from, repented of, to be washed clean, to be gloriously forgiven. Jesus has come to identify with sinners that He might do what? Cleanse them. What does the Apostle Paul tell, and you men, you know this, what does he tell husbands in Ephesians chapter 5? Remember these words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And then what did Paul go on to say about what Jesus was doing in giving up His life for the church? He then goes on to say that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such kind thing that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus identifies with sinners to save sinners, and that includes the sanctifying work of the Spirit in their life, cleansing them. Yes, so that they might be justified through faith alone, but those who are justified, that they might be sanctified. Jesus identified with sinners, living and dying and being resurrected and ascending back unto heaven, unto the Father, pouring out His Holy Spirit, so that through the preaching of the Word, the Holy Spirit would change hearts and open minds and convert men and women, boys and girls like our sister Joe. Giving her and giving them and giving us faith through which we will be declared just and right before a holy God 
and also that we would be forgiven and then be more and more and more and more cleansed by the working of the Spirit through the Word. To one day, with all the saints and with all those who make up the bride of Christ, we will be presented together to our glorious bridegroom to live and love eternally. That's why Jesus identifies with sinners. But I said we had a third point, and that is Jesus' identity. Or put in a question form, who do you identify with? Jesus has identified with sinners, but who do you identify with? Who are you? What's your identity? Some of you might say, well, I'm the husband of this lady. Some of you might say, I'm the wife of this husband. Some of you might say, I'm the mother or the father of this child, or I'm the child of these parents. And your identity is in your relationship with people. And those can be great. Some of, your, some of you have your identity in what you do. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a tax preparer. And that's okay. Some of you find your identity in not what you do for your vocation, but what you like to do for your recreation. I'm a hiker. I'm a runner. I'm a bowler. Whatever. You, have found, you find your identity in that. Or maybe some of you find your identity in what you're attracted to. What you love. Some of you might find your identity in your cause. It might be a great cause. You're, you, you find your identity in justice. Seeking justice. You find your identity in critiquing uh, corruption. You find your identity in education. It, it, it can be all kinds of causes out there. And no matter how good some of those may be, when they become your chief, your primary, your central identity, then they are nothing more, brothers and sisters, than idols. And I want you to, if you're writing notes, write this down. The most dangerous idols are the good ones. The good ones. But idols, no matter how good, will never satisfy your soul. And if you, you, if you try to fill that hole in your soul with an idol, you will never be satisfied. And in, in addition to that, that idol will fit you for destruction. So don't find your identity, even in good things. Good relationships, good jobs, good recreations, good loves. Don't put your identity and find your identity in them. 
find your identity solely in Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. In Jesus, the one who's so identified with sinners that when the words of the Father are said to him, and what were those words? You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. When those words are said to Jesus, they are said to you. He so identifies with His people that when in faith and repentance they turn to Jesus, those words said to Him are said to you. You are my dear, dear child, and I'm delighted in you. Lee, you are my dear, dear child, and I'm delighted in you. God, me? I know me. I'm rotten. I might put on a good front. can't do it. I can't bring you to light. Lee, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, you're in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, Lee, you are my dear, dear child, and I am delighted in you. Brothers and sisters, take Lee out of it. Put your name in my name's place. And let those words wash over you like, those, like that water washed over Joe's head this morning. Put your name there. You don't have to say it out loud. You can close your eyes if it, may, if it embarrasses you. Close your eyes. Put your name there. You are my... Dear, dear child, and I am delighted in you. That's the beloved son that the father identifies, who identifies with sinners such as us, so that those words can be said of us. And if your Holy Father loves you that way, and if you know He loves you that way, you tell me what you want to now do. You'll now want to go out and do what? Delight Him. Delight Him. In all that you are. In all that you do. And you will. Why? Because you're in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, we don't deserve these beautiful words. But Father, thank you. Thank you that they are said to us as we find ourselves in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>